Story six of The Human Boy and the War by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story six The Fight. My name is Rice, and there was only one thing I hated about the war, and even that I had to stop hating because of England. My first feeling was the war had come too soon, and that if it had only been four years later, I should have been there. But saying this to Tracy, he pointed out that from England's point of view, it was lucky the war had come when it did, because every year was making the Germans stronger, while we went gaily down the hill, reducing our navy and our army too. So it was a jolly good thing the great war hadn't waited till I went into the army. In fact, in four years, by all accounts, there mightn't have been any army to go into. No doubt you'd have been a host in yourself, Rice, said Tracy in his comical way, meaning a joke that I easily saw. But all the same, as we had to fight Germany, the sooner we did it, the better. So I gave up hating the sad fact of not being there, though it was extra rough on me, because many people seemed to think it was going to be the last war on earth, and if that was so, my occupation was gone, and I might just as well not have been born, except for the simple and rather tame pleasure of being alive. But what's the good of that if you're not going to do anything worth mentioning from the cradle to the grave, as the saying is? As far as mere fighting went, I did all I could at Merivale, and after seven regular fights got to be cock of the lower school. And in ordinary times I should have been cock of the whole school, but curiously enough there was one chap of very unusual fighting ability at Merivale when I was there, and he was rightly regarded as cock of the school in the science of fighting. It happened also that he and I were tremendous chums, such chums as are seldom seen, for we had similar ideas on all subjects and never differed even on the subject of the boxing art. In fact, we only differed because I was going into the Navy and Sutherland Minor was going into the law. He had no taste for soldiering, like his brother Sutherland Major, though great genius for boxing, in which he took after his father, and as his father was in the law and wanted him to go into it, he resolved to obey. But to me the law seemed a feeble profession, and I often tried to dissuade him from it. Sutherland Minor was sixteen and a half and tall. I was fifteen and three inches shorter. He had better biceps than me and a longer reach, and he said I had a better punch than him, but less science. After my third fight, he always let me second him in his fights, but he only had two before this particularly interesting fight I am going to mention, and one was against Blades, which he won after six rounds by excellent science and far superior footwork to Blades and the other was against a chap called Pingley, who only came for one term and gave himself frightful airs because he was a Cornishman. But I shouldn't think Cornwall had much use for him. One day Sutherland said that the Cornish might be very good at catching pilchards and digging up tin, but they didn't seem much good at enlisting in Kitchener's army. And Pengeley said there was a reason for that, though he refused to tell us what the reason was. Then he got into a fearful bait, and, little knowing the truth about Sutherland, challenged him to fight, which, of course, Sutherland instantly agreed to. 
Mengele was very big and strong, and if he had been able to hit Sutherland as often as he wanted to, the fight might have been interesting. But having no science whatever, he was useless against Sutherland. By sheer strength, he stuck to it for eight rounds, during which time he got a fair doing, and Sutherland was hardly marked. But then, though by no means all in, Pingley realized that he wasn't going to get a knuckle on Sutherland, and so he gave up. He wasn't a bad chap, really, though rather foolish about Cornwall, and he even said to me deliberately that a Cornishman was as good as an Irishman, which showed, if anything, that he was weak in his head. And after his fight with Sutherland, he asked him again what the reason was that Cornwall was so slack at enlisting, and he said that the truth was that half of all Cornish chaps go into the navy, which owing to Cornwall being almost surrounded by sea, they prefer. But whether that's true or only a piffling excuse, I don't know. Anyway, when it came to counting up the most famous men Cornwall ever produced, he could only mention Sir Humphrey Davy, who invented the safety lamp for miners, which was undoubtedly all right in its way, and Q, who wrote Dead Man's Rock, and was knighted for doing so. And nobody ever deserved it more. But that was all, whereas when it came to Ireland, of course, I could count up thousands of the greatest heroes in creation, including Mr. Redmond, who has just got home rule for us after fearful obstacles. But I never fought Pengali. There wasn't time, for he only had one term at Merivale, and then, I believe, went to Canada suddenly to an uncle there. After that began the curious affair between me and Sutherland, but as it was remarkable in every way and will never be forgotten by our families, I may mention them. In the first place, Sutherland's mother was a chronical invalid. I said it must be very difficult to love a person who lived in bed and never be any use out of doors or ride to hounds or anything. And he said that it made no difference and that he was accustomed to it because his mother had always been an utter crock ever since he knew her and even at her best when she was feeling unusually fit she only changed her bed for a sofa in his father's study apparently she was just as keen about him as my mother was about me and though she didn't much care to hear about his fights she tried to understand the beauty of them like his father did but naturally this father was more to Sutherland than the mother could be, because his father had been amateur middleweight champion of England in his time, and held the cup for three years, and had been runner-up twice also. He was, therefore, a very great boxer and fighter, and Sutherland had been taught by his father, which accounted for his genius at it and his style, which was very finished. He would undoubtedly have been a pro if he had been in another walk of life, but as it was, he fully intended to do as well as his father had done in the amateur boxing world, though as he was growing very rapidly and was also a great eater, it looked as if he would end up by being a heavyweight, which his father never was. Though, as Sutherland told me, his father had beaten a few good heavyweights in his time, though he never touched twelve stone in his boxing days. Sutherland Major, by the way, had just left Merivale when the war broke out, and he instantly went into the OTCs and soon became a second lieutenant and went to France. 
This father of Sutherland was a lawyer, and Sutherland regretted to say that the war had done him harm, as, owing to it, apparently, people were not going to law nearly so much as usual. Still, he thought, after the war he might find a great improvement. He was a lawyer of the sort called a barrister, and wore a wig and gown, and pleaded for criminals before the judges and juries on the Western Circuit, often getting them off when it looked jolly bad for them, so Sutherland said. But my father was quite different, being a gentleman at large, and funnily enough, owing to the war, he made the first money he had ever made in his life, for he had a great knowledge of horses, and the war office, hearing of this, let him go out and choose and buy horses for it, which he willingly did, and for his trouble he got the enormous sum of a guinea a day. My mother sent me a sovereign of my father's earnings, and told me to keep it, and bore a hole in it, and put it on my watch-chain, and be proud of it. But this I did not do, because a sovereign is a sovereign, and I simply couldn't see a good sovereign wasting its time, so to speak, on my watch-chain. Then, one day, walking as usual with Sutherland on the way to a footer-match, in which we were both playing, both being in the first soccer team, him at right back and me at right half, we got talking about a fight I rather hoped to have with Briggs, and Sutherland was trying to think of a casus belli, which in English means a reason for the fight. But knowing Briggs, he said no casus belli would ever arise, and I said, in that case, if Briggs were willing, we might fight for a purse if anybody would subscribe one. And then Sutherland reminded me that I should become a pro, and Briggs also, if that were done. He said, Briggs wouldn't fight just for the sake of fighting, and as you and he are very good friends, and there's no needle in it, it looks difficult. Then we talked, and then he happened to say, about fighting in general, and weights and so on, you might just as well think of licking him, speaking of Hutchings, who had gone to the front, as you might of licking me. Of course, I said, it would be absurd. That was the whole conversation, and I forgot it while the match was on, and in fact it didn't come back to me till I went to bed that night, and then it fairly kept me awake, and I was fearfully sorry I'd said it would be absurd for me to think of licking Sutherland. In fact, I got sorrier and sorrier, and then I wondered why the Dickens Sutherland thought it was such a mad idea my licking him, and before I went to sleep I felt, in a way, rather sick with Sutherland for having such a poor opinion of me. In the morning the feeling was still there, and he noticed I was a bit off, and asked me if I was all right, and I said I was but it weighed fearfully, and I fairly got to hate myself in about two days, for having said the idea of my licking Sutherland was absurd. In fact, the more I thought about it, the less absurd it seemed. I knew he was heavier and had a longer reach and was older and more scientific, but he himself had said that I had a fine punch, and if you've got that, you never know what may happen." and many an unlikely thing has come off in the ring owing to unexpected smacks landing at the right moment in the right place after a good deal of hard thinking and going down about four in my form which landed me at the bottom i felt i must speak to sutherland or i should burst so when he asked me for the thousandth time what was the matter and if anybody had scored off me or anything i said 
look here sutherland you remember that while going to the footer match last week you said i might just as well think of licking you as of licking hutchings and he said well yes i remember and i said i told you it was absurd didn't i you did naturally answered sutherland well i said i was wrong it wasn't in the least natural for me to say that and there was nothing absurd about it it's been on my mind ever since and now i see it wasn't absurd what wasn't absurd said sutherland the idea of your licking hutchings or the idea of your licking me the idea of my licking you i said firmly for a moment sutherland was quite silent do you really think so he asked yes i said after considering it quietly in bed and in chapel and at many other times i can't see anything absurd about it in fact rice you think you might have a chance against me suggested sutherland i don't say that it would be much of a chance i told him probably you'd do me because you're a lot cleverer and more scientific but when i said absurd i went too far sutherland considered you're quite right he admitted you might get over a lucky one it's very unlikely but you might therefore there would be nothing absurd about our fighting and i oughtn't to have suggested there was somehow i never regarded us as in the same streak but of course we may be we're not i said as for boxing on points we're not but fighting is different and well there you are he nodded if you feel like that he said of course i never did feel like that in fact i never thought of it before i told sutherland but now he didn't say anything so i went on it's a matter of honour in a way i said from your point of view it is no doubt he answered isn't it from yours i asked him not exactly he explained we're very good friends in fact more than just common or garden friends and i never thought of fighting you regarding you as cock of the lower school and not supposing the question would ever rise between us as i shall probably leave merivale before you get into the upper school if ever you do still as you feel your honour makes you want to fight me you must of course there's no casus belli otherwise i said and sutherland answered that honour was the best casus belli possible he said of course if you honestly feel that i have wounded your honour rice we must fight and i said well you haven't wounded it exactly in fact i don't know what the dickens you have done but you've done something and though you're my chum and i hope you always will be forevermore yet i don't believe i shall get over this feeling or in fact be any more good in the world till we fought as a matter of fact said sutherland you've wounded your honour yourself by thoughtlessly agreeing to my suggestion that you couldn't lick me still whatever has done it the result is the same i'm afraid i'm afraid it is i said i suppose no two chaps ever arranged a thing of this sort in a more regretful frame of mind for we had always been peculiarly friendly and the idea of ever fighting had never occurred to us but it was just that fatal remark of sutherland showing his point of view and showing me with only too dreadful clearness his opinion of me as compared with him and the queerest thing of all was that i quite agreed with him really only there was a feeling in me i couldn't possibly let it go at that 
and of course there was also a secret hope that after all sutherland and i might be mistaken about his being such a mighty lot better than i was so we agreed to fight on the following saturday afternoon as there was only a second eleven match on our own ground and we should have leisure to go into the wood close by where these affairs were settled needless to say the world at large was fearfully surprised when it heard we were going to fight we still pottered about together in our usual friendly way and when we were asked as of course we were what we were fighting for it was more than i could do to explain or sutherland either travers major understood the truth of the situation and i think thwaites did and possibly preston but to have tried to explain to anybody else the frightfully peculiar situation would have been impossible for they hadn't the minds to understand it so we just said in a general sort of way we were still chums but felt such a tremendous interest in the question of which was the greatest fighter that we were going to find out in the most friendly spirit possible of course being easily the two best in the school the sensation was huge but the general opinion seemed to be that i must be mad to think of beating sutherland and i never argued much about it and said very likely i was but that i hated uncertainty in a thing like that pegram said it will be your sedan rice meaning that i should be treated by sutherland like the french were treated by the germans on that occasion but i did not think so i said most likely i shall be licked and badly licked which is nothing against such a man as sutherland but it won't be my sedan by long chalks because we've agreed whichever wins it will make no difference certainly there will be no indemnity said pegram as you're both far too hard up for any such thing but you needn't think the beaten one will ever feel the same again to the winner because human nature is all against it your human nature may be i said to pegram who was a foxy chap great at strategy but otherwise mean your human nature may be like that but mine and sutherland's is not all the same i had pegram to second me because he is full of cunning and i also had travers minor and sutherland had abbott who is a very fine second and would be a fine boxer too but for a short leg on one side williams was his other second and travers major consented to be referee fighting was not allowed at merivale but travers though head of the school and never known to break any other rule supported fair fighting because he believed it was good and he also believed that the doctor did not really much dislike it though no doubt to parents he had to say he did brown however hated fighting and as he was master in charge on the appointed day we had to exercise precautions and keep the fight as quiet as possible though favourable to fighting as a rule travers never cared much about my fight with sutherland and even tried to make us change our minds but he had no reasons that we thought good enough or rather that i thought good enough because of course i was the challenger and sutherland had no choice but to agree it turned out that sutherland was rather glad of the fight because it distracted his mind from sadness a fortnight before he had been home from saturday till monday to see his mother who was worse because his brother tom or sutherland major was in the trenches and his father had been very gloomy about it so the fight served to cheer him up and brighten his spirits which was one good thing it did 
then the eventful day arrived and the fortunate chaps who knew that this was the appointed time looked at me with awe and as we were getting up in our dormitory percy minimus whispered to me you'll look a very different spectacle tonight from what you do now rice the morning seemed long and i jolly near messed up the whole thing and had a squeak of being kept in for the half-holiday but i escaped and at last the time came when the footer match was in full swing and brown with a lot of kids watching it then one by one about fifteen of us strolled off including sutherland and me and our seconds and travers major and preston and blades and saunders and perkinson and ash and percy minimus who liked the sight of blood if it wasn't his own no time was lost and a ring was made with a bit of rope while sutherland and i prepared they were two-minute rounds and ash kept the time no two chaps ever shook hands in a more friendly spirit and as to the fight itself as i cannot relate it i may copy the notes that blades took he missed a good many delicate things that we did but the general description though not at all in regular sporting language gives a fair idea of how it went he wrote these words round one sutherland seemed thoughtful and not so much interested as rice rice advanced and dodged about and struck out into the air several times and danced on his feet and once he would have hit sutherland but sutherland ducked his head under the blow and before rice could recover hit him with both fists on the body rice laughed and sutherland smiled they were dancing about doing nothing when ash called time and they rested and their seconds wiped their faces and rice blew his nose with his fingers round two now sutherland began to hit rice a good deal oftener than rice hit him but in the middle of the round rice got in a very fine blow on sutherland's face and knocked him down sutherland instantly rose bleeding but by no means troubled he praised rice and said it was a beauty and rice said don't patronize me sutherland but sutherland did not answer for the rest of the round sutherland hit rice several times but didn't make him bleed it was a good round and both were panting at the end round three sutherland wouldn't let rice get near enough to hit him and kept catching rice's attempts on his arms and his arms being longer than rice's he could land on rice without being hit back he did not hit so hard as rice but he hit rice whereas rice hit the air still rice got in a very good one just in the middle of sutherland's body which doubled up sutherland and before he could undouble again rice had hit him very hard on the face with an uppercut sutherland fairly poured with blood but was quite cool and showed no signs of not liking it he got in a very good blow with his left on rice's neck before ash called time round four it was certainly a very fine fight of much higher class than we had ever seen before at merivale this round was the fiercest up to now and travers major had to caution rice for being inclined to use his head still he fought very finely but it worried him fearfully to be hit so often without getting one back the hits were not heavy hits to the spectator but they must have been harder than they look because rice who has black hair and a very pale skin by nature was now getting a mottled sort of skin in this round they were rather slower than before and stood and panted a good deal and while they panted they looked at one another with a sort of doleful cheerfulness from time to time but there was also fierce fighting and sutherland at last drew blood from rice with a blow on the nose 
At the sight of his blood, Rice gave a great display and kept Sutherland moving about and at last hit him backwards out of the ring. But Sutherland instantly returned and went on fighting till the end of the round. It was a splendid round in every way. Round 5. Both were now rather tired and in this round they took it easy. But at taking it easy, Sutherland was much better than Rice and did not waste so much energy in fainting. He had the best of this round and hit Rice twice or three times on the face. At the end, he fairly knocked Rice down, and when Ash said time, Pegram and Travers Minor rushed to pick up Rice and carry him to his corner, but he rose and walked. Round 6. This looked as though it was going to be the last, for Sutherland was now fresher than Rice and evidently stronger. Rice began the round well, but soon fell away, and Sutherland hit him several times, and once over the right eyebrow, and cut him, and evidently did that eye no good. Rice made ferocious dashes, and Sutherland got away from them, and then, while Rice was resting, Sutherland dashed in, and Rice didn't get away. Sutherland hit Rice on the chest and knocked him down, and it looked as though he wasn't going to get up again but he did and still had good strength he was being licked but slowly at the end of the round he got one good one in though it was lucky i must here break off the account of the fight by blades to describe a most amazing thing which made this fight far unlike any other i or sutherland had ever fought after the sixth round, we were being mopped up, and Pegram was advising me to chuck it, and I was saying, in a gasping sort of way, I should try to stick a few more rounds and hope for a bit of luck, when, to our great horror, there suddenly appeared from the trees Brown and a man clad in black. At first we thought it was a policeman, and that Brown had heard of the fight and had called a constable to take us up. But it turned out that Brown hadn't heard of the fight, and the man in black was none other than the father of Sutherland, the famous middleweight of other days. He had called to see Sutherland and had been sent to the playing field, and there he had been met by Brown, and Brown, guessing that the big chaps were in the wood, had brought Sutherland's father actually to the ringside. Brown, of course, was furious and wanted to stop the fight and take down all our names, but the famous middleweight would not hear of this. The moment he found that Sutherland was fighting, a wave of animation went over him, and he begged Brown as a personal favor to let us finish. He even promised to put it all right with the doctor if anything was said, which showed his fighting qualities were still there. Brown, of course, curled up but his little eyes blazed and he said that sutherland's father must take the responsibility which he gladly undertook to do then brown giving us a look which told without words what would happen when sutherland's father was gone went back to the kids in the meantime i and sutherland had a fine rest and after that we went on again i wished much that his father had seen the whole fight because i knew now only too well that sutherland had got me and that of course with his father there he'd buck up and do something out of the common and i deeply wished my father were there and not far away buying horses at a guinea a day in ireland but i hoped now with this good rest to last at least two more rounds i may now go on with the description of blades round seven much refreshed by about six minutes rest rice and sutherland began again and sutherland's father watched the fight with a calm and sporting interest 
He was a clean-shaved man of large size about the shoulders, but he had a pale, sad-looking face and very thin lips, and one ear larger than the other. Sutherland had to withstand a wild rush from Rice, and hit Rice while he backed away from him, which pleased his father. But Rice was not stopped, and he got close to Sutherland and hit him very hard on the body until they fell into each other's arms. And Sutherland's father said, "'Break! Break!' and then apologized to Travers Major, who was referee. They parted, and Rice, evidently much refreshed, went after Sutherland and hit him about three or four times. Then Sutherland hit him once, and then it was time. Round 8. Sutherland's father certainly seemed to have brought Sutherland bad luck, for in the next round Rice held his own, and, though knocked down at the beginning of the round, got up and went on. And Sutherland's father asked me how many rounds had been fought, and was very much interested in my notes, and owing to him reading them, I could not describe this round. At the end, both were tired, one not more than the other. Round 9. Rice, feeling he had still a chance, fought as well as ever in this round, and Sutherland was clearly not taking anything like his old interest in the fight. He kept looking mournfully at his father and didn't seem to care where Rice hit him, and I could see that his father was a good deal disappointed. Rice had much the best of this round, and Sutherland bled again, though Rice did also. Round 10. It began all right, though both could hardly keep up their arms, and then, without a blow, suddenly Sutherland shook his head and extended his hand to Rice, and Rice shook it and the battle was over. That was the end of what Blades wrote, but much remains to be told, and the fight, which was extraordinary in the beginning, turned out far more extraordinary at the end. I couldn't believe my senses when Sutherland gave in, and nor could his father, and then came out the truth, which was sad in a way, but really much sadder for me than Sutherland, because what I had thought was a right-down glorious victory, well worth the pint of blood I had shed and the tooth I had lost, turned out to be what you might really call very little better than winning on a foul. After the fight, Sutherland hastened to his father and asked him about Sutherland Major and heard he was all right and going strong. Then he actually began to blub, and his father rotted him and asked him what the dickens was the matter with him, and how he had given in to a chap sizes smaller than himself, and then Sutherland, between moments of undoubted weeping, explained. He said, I never saw you in black clothes before, because at home you always wear tweeds with squares and a red tie, and seeing you in pitch black, of course I thought Tom was dead. Till then I was winning, and Rice knows I was, but after you came and I felt positive Tom was dead. Then Sutherland was quite unable to go on, and his father asked him, however he thought he could have stood there grinning at a kid fight under such sad circumstances. Then he led Sutherland away and explained that he happened to have been attending a funeral near Plymouth of some old lawyer friend, and he thought he would kill two birds with one stone, as they say, and come over and have a look at Sutherland and tell him they'd heard good news of his brother and that his mother had bucked up again. Well, there it was, and much worse for me than Sutherland, because his grief was turned into joy. But my joy was turned into grief, winning in that footling way, which didn't amount to winning at all. In fact, it was mere dust, and enough to make me weep myself, 
only that was a thing i had never been known to do and never shall in this world or the next however sutherland minor was jolly sporting about it and thoroughly understood how it must look from my point of view he even offered to come to ireland in the christmas holidays if my people would ask him and fight me again on my own ground he couldn't say more but though i gladly accepted the idea of his coming to ireland which was a very happy thought on his part i told him frankly that i should not fight him again at present we may meet some happy day in the amateur championship sutherland i said if i get large enough and you don't get too large no rice he answered for i shall be a heavy weight when i'm twenty and you at best can never hope to be anything but a welter but i hope we'll second each other many a time and oft end of story six